What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain Total Human is a complete reimagining of the daily multivitamin designed to support specific body systems on a day-to-day basis. Total Human combines many of Onnit's best-in-class formulas into a simple and effective all-in-one product, making it the easiest way to get optimized. Instead of one pill, Total Human provides two separate packs of capsules offering rich doses of earth-grown nutrients and some clinically studied ingredients specifically balanced to support the brain, bones, soft tissue, along with mood, energy, immune health, and more. The day pack helps support memory and focus with Alpha Brain, gives an energy boost with Shroom Tech Sport, assists with keeping your bones and joints nourished with Strombone, and promotes more resiliency with Active B Complete. The night pack offers the body the mood-balancing benefit of new mood, along with the immune-supporting actions of key minerals, including vitamin C and lysine in the pack. Both packs contain the edible algae spirulina and chlorella, which provide a broad spectrum of nutrients, krill oil, which offers EPA and DHA for supporting brain and overall system health. Total Human combines the absolute best of the Onnit product line with vital nutrients not easily obtained from food, So if you don't have time to curate your own supplement plan or you are looking to put your optimization on autopilot, relax. Onnit has done the work for you. Order Total Human and try it out for a few weeks to see for yourself. Or set up a subscription to save some cash. Either way, you can rest assured that by taking these two little packs daily, you are on the path to total human optimization. Emily Fletcher is the creator of Ziva Meditation, the author of Stress Less, Accomplish More, and she's someone that just walks the walk as well as talks the talk. We have a great podcast together. It was a blast getting to know her. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Emily, welcome. So glad to have you here. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of things to talk about. Let's do it. People are stressed out. (sighs) Really stressed. Yeah. I get stressed too. Yeah, it's not bad to get stressed. It's terrible to stay stressed. Mm. That's the trick. And not have any tools mm-hmm. to get out of that state. Yeah, most of us are in this chronic low-grade fight or flight stress reaction. Harvard Medical School released some research suggesting that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctors' visits. Mm-hmm. And uh, scientists are calling it the black plague of our century. Yeah, I actually quote that study in my book. And then there's also a follow-up study of 
how many doctors are equipped to talk to their patients about stress? When they're so stressed. And then it's like, oh, very few, you know, right? So 90% of the visits involve stress, but so few of the doctors that are there to help their patients are actually equipped to handle stress, nor are they handling stress themselves. Mm. So it's like this unspoken about issue that's just being covered outside of the medical model, which is a weird thing because so many of the medical issues that are arising are the result of this chronic issue. Yeah. I mean, even med school itself is enough to give you a chronic stress (laughs) disorder if you didn't have one before. But thankfully there are some people breaking that model. You know, Mark, Mark Hyman, who is a friend and student, he is doing a lot at the Cleveland Clinic. Robin Burzin has started Parsley Health. So there are some functional medicine doctors that are looking at stress as the underlying culprit that's exacerbating so many of our ailments. Yeah, I think that's one of the real signs of optimism when you look out at the medical field is people bridging all of these different schools of knowledge and trying to have that more holistic view. Um, But because there's so much wisdom out there that can be applied and it's not all about, okay, stress. Well, there's got to be something in an orange bottle that shakes and clacks around when I shake it and I can get it from CVS that'll help me with that stress. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe that's like a Band-Aid and a temporary crutch if things are really bad, but you got to work on that stuff internally. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, these are software programs that are running in your head that you got to reconcile with. And I would even argue hardware as well. Like when you're stressed, Mm -hmm. your brain gets... I don't know if this is a word, but fragged. I know defragging is a word, right? So when you're meditating, you're defragging the computer itself, which is optimizing the hard drive. Yeah. So I think software is like, you know, religion, self-help books, um, you know, even podcasts, right? It's, it's downloading information and operating systems for us to operate in our lives. But if you're stressed and over time your brain starts breaking down, you decrease your neuroplasticity, the corpus callosum thins, then you're actually not able to act in accordance with whatever software you've been downloading. Because for most of us, lack of information is not the problem. Right. We all know how we should be acting. Yeah. Like, all right, everybody listening, how many of you guys know that you should meditate? And yeah. how many of you are actually meditating the amount that you know that you should or that you want to, right? Like, I mean, I know that I'm not meditating as much as I want to, and I'm proficient. You know, I have I have tools available. I have guided meditations. I have different practices that, that work. Mm-hmm. And still, you know, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Oh, I'll get to that when I'm not stressed. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Don't be an idiot. Like, do it when, when you're stressed. What do you mean? You yes. Know? I'm so glad you asked this question because every single time I speak somewhere, I say, how many of you guys have tried meditation? 100% of the hands go up. How many of you guys have a daily practice that you commit to every day? 90% of the hands go down. So it's mm. really only about 10% of the people who are doing a daily practice, at least in the circles that I'm running in. And that might be high for the national or global average. And, and really that's what I want this book to solve is to bridge that gap between the people who know they should be meditating and the people who are actually effing meditating. Yeah. And I think the reason why we're not doing it- Let's just it, say fucking just to get it okay, out of the way. Just it's the, the people who, podcast. We got to kind of get that one out of the way. Just, or, yeah. We actually, you know what I'll say? <laughs> you. We have these awesome sweatshirts with really long hoods that say, fuck off, I'm meditating on them. <laughs> and I feel like that would really work for you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm it's on the way. It. It's in the mail. <laughs> um, but the thing is people aren't doing it because they think that it's a waste of time. Like secretly they're like, oh, I'm too busy. And what that means to me is that they have other things that are higher priorities, right? Well, I, I will meditate when all this stuff that's going to make me money is not a higher priority. Mm-hmm. And so really that's the whole point of this book is to be like, hey, ding dong, if your brain is working better, you may in fact make more money. Yeah. Just a crazy, crazy idea. It's, I mean, I, I encountered that too. I'm really close with my cousin, grew up with him. He's one of my best friends. And 
and family as well, obviously. But, you know, he's one of the more productive, active out there, like grinding New York City, you know, always meetings after meetings, calls. And like, and I was talking to him about sensory deprivation tanks and floating. He's like, oh, you know, I just can't take off that time. I'm like, cuz, I promise you, like after you get out of that tank, like everything is going to be so much more efficient that you're actually going to gain time. You think you're losing time? You think that two hours, you know, prep and recovery and the hour in the tank, like you think you're losing time? You're not. You're going to gain time, yes. you know? And yes. that's, the, that's the thing that people don't really understand. Because we don't understand what stress is costing us. It's like right. that white noise of the air conditioning on in the background. And it's not until it turns off that we understand what it was costing us all along. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So what are the, what are the strategies? What's your, you know, what's your technique? How do you get, you know, all of us into this thing, you know, a little bit more regularly? Mm. Well, I feel like what my mission in life is to take this powerful medicine that is meditation and wrap it in the very delicious, very attractive candy coating of everything we've been talking about. Hey, this thing is going to give you more time. It's going to help you have better sex. It's going to help you make more money. You're going to have better parking karma. And so really, the, <laughs> that's a real thing. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm with you on the first three. I don't know. I think there's, there's old gods that control the parking karma. <laughs> and these old gods may recover, the, may require like the blood of a goat. And we're not going there. I don't know what pagan old gods, you know, are the parking gods. Look, if that's but. what it takes, you meditate and then you do the pagan blood, <laughs> goat blood ritual, whatever it takes to get that parking spot. But actually, a quick story. My sister is seven years older than me. And she wants me to be an expert in approximately nothing because, you know, she's the big <laughs> sister, right? right? I'm the baby sister. And so she, when she came to me, she took my meditation class and she was like, Emily, I get it. I know the neuroscience is in. I get the meditation is good for you, but I don't think this is going to work for me. Like my stress is special. My brain is crazy. This is what we all think, that we have mm. so many thoughts. And she's like, I'll do it because I love you and you're my sister, but I don't know. And then three weeks later, she started texting me photos of parking spots. Just every day. And I was like, yes, it's working. She has better parking karma. Mm-hmm. I want to see her blood altar. <laughs> I'm not saying she didn't Zeus. do that. <laughs> she might have done that too. Um, so basically, yeah. So what we've done in this book is taken all the selfish reasons that we come to meditation and looked at the neuroscience behind it. Like mm-hmm. why is stress slowing us down? Why is it making us sick and stupid? And, and then once you understand that, then you can see, oh, well, if I meditate, if I utilize the single most impactful and powerful stress relieving tool that we have, if I start to make this a daily non-negotiable piece of my mental hygiene, then I start to see how this ripple effect of all these things that I want in my life are starting to come innocently and spontaneously. Mm -hmm. It feels like magic. It's not magic. It's the return on investment. Mm -hmm. So, all right. What's, what is your technique then? You Mm -hmm. know, what are the ways that you recommend? Because there's so many different ways to meditate. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, information overload yes. for some people because all right well what am i do vipassana am i going to chant am i going to is it guided or breathing or what, what am i doing here yeah so there's thousands and thousands right. of different types and it can be a little overwhelming she's like well where do i start mm-hmm. uh and so the what we teach at ziva and in the book is the trifecta of the three m's so we teach mindfulness meditation and manifesting. So you take all the thousands of techniques out there, you could lump all of them into these three buckets if you choose. Mm-hmm. It's a simplistic organization, but we'll go with it. So the three M's, mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. I would define mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Beautiful. We could all do that right now. We could take two mindful breaths and why don't we just do it just for funsies? Let's just inhale through our nose and exhale through our mouth. 
And on this next inhale, become aware of the tactile sensation of the breath coming in the nose. And then as you exhale, feel aware of the tactile sensation of the breath exiting out of your mouth. One final time, just for fun, inhale. Feeling the feeling of the breath in your body against your skin and exhaling. Really good. And opening the eyes if you chose to close them. And so that's a moment of mindfulness. It's just here we are in the body right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Simple, beautiful, necessary in this day and age where we've become bulimic of the brain or we're all just intake, intake, intake with social media. Mindfulness was actually derived from techniques that were originally designed for monks. Okay. And so when people are practicing what they think is meditation, but is actually mindfulness, which is most of the apps, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in studios out there are actually teaching mindfulness, but calling it meditation. And these are usually styles that were designed for monks. And so it's much more about focusing. It's much more about controlling the mind. Sometimes there's uncomfortable postures or fancy fingers. And so if people like you and I, people who are householders who are not monks, and from the few podcasts that I've listened to of yours, <laughs> You're decidedly Us crazy not householders. <laughs> you know, people who like yeah, having sex sure. and living in society and want to make money and yep. stuff. We're not monks. And it's less than 1% of the world's population that is monastic by nature, but that is their nature. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have sex. They don't want to be in society. They are reclusive. That is their, that's their path. And so for us as householders to try and pretend to be monks or try to adopt a technique that was made for monks is always going to feel hard. It's always going to feel like we're failing. Sure. And so then what we have is the mcyogification of meditation that's happened, or we've taken these monk practices, but sort of dumbed them down or watered them down to make them super accessible. And I'm all about accessibility, but I'm not about trying to make something fit that isn't a fit. Mm-hmm. And so Anyway, we use mindfulness as like the appetizer or the runway into meditation at Ziva. And it's really just a simple mindfulness practice I call come to your senses, where you're bringing, you're using all five of your senses to get in your body right here, right now. And I use that because I usually teach high performers, high achievers. And we look, we got busy minds and busy lives. So you need a runway from the momentum of your day in between that and the like (laughs) goodbye into meditation. Mm -hmm. So that's what the mindfulness is for. Also, we'll probably talk about this later, but the mindfulness helps you when that emotional and physical catharsis happens, which it does for a lot of people when they start these healing practices, a lifetime of trauma starts coming up and out. And I think that the mindfulness can be very helpful to just sit in that pain if and when it comes. Sure. Then there's a meditation. And this is quite different than what most people are defining meditation as. And I would define meditation as deep healing rest rest that is helping you to deal with not only your stress from today, but all that stress from your past, all that stuff that we've been collecting in our cellular. And now we know epigenetic memory, right? And so the meditation that I teach is very much about surrendering. It's very much about letting go. You don't have to focus. You don't have to clear your mind. Thoughts are not the enemy. You don't have to be in uncomfortable positions. You can do it on your couch. You can do it on in, an, in a lift. Like mm-hmm. it's really designed to make you better at life. It's not meant to take you away from life. And in it, you're giving your body rest that's five times deeper than sleep. And, and that's- And is that quantified by a brainwave state that's your, that's your target? Like targeting theta or delta or, or where, are you, where are you trying to go with- 
that's quantified by your metabolic rate, which is the okay. rate with which the body consumes oxygen, heart rate, and body temperature. Okay. Those all drop precipitously within 30 to 45 seconds of starting. And so when you're doing that, that it's that de-excitation that you're inducing with the meditation technique that creates order in the body. And when you create order in your nervous system, that's the thing that allows that lifetime of accumulated stress to start to come up and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end. So that's the main course is the meditation. And then the dessert course is the manifesting. And I get some eye rolls when I say the word manifesting, but to me, that word simply means consciously creating a life you love. It's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. Well, how much money do I want to make? What do I want my relationship to look like? What do I, what's my dream vacation? Instead of asking shitty questions, which most people are like, why can't I lose this weight? Why did she get a raise and I didn't? Why doesn't my husband do X, Y, and Z? So you ask shitty questions, you're going to get shitty answers. And so to me, manifesting is just being disciplined about curating and cultivating this time after meditation, which is a very powerful time to manifest. And then imagining the dream as if it's happening now. Imagining your dream as if it is your current reality. Right. And that's the that's even the message for prayer, right? You know, mm. like the, the old maxims about prayers, pray as if it is already done, mm. you know, or any of the placebo techniques like Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about, like, how do you master placebo? Well, you envision yourself, you feel the emotions of actually being well already. Yes. It's not, I'm in a position where I'm hoping to get well, where it's outside of the body and the kind of somatic integration of that. It's like, I'm well, yeah. you know, I'm already well, you know, like, and that's the, that's the kind of interesting trick about manifestation or prayer or any of these things or using harnessing the placebo effect is you actually have to put yourself in the end result position Mm. to actually bridge yourself to that end result position, which is counterintuitive. And I think it requires a level of mastery because they seem similar. You know, praying can, you can really think that you're praying. You can really think that you're manifesting, but you're accidentally watering the weeds instead of watering the flowers. You're accidentally worshiping the space between where you are and where you want to be. Mm -hmm. When the trick is imagining it as if it is happening now. And so a lot of people think- the weeds like i'm so sick i hope i get well may the wellness come to me the sick one who is so sick you know and so you're are you really like you said you're you're actually creating and reinforcing that gap mm-hmm. rather than closing the gap yes. you know and i think so. that's why a lot of people think it doesn't work like well <laughs> yeah. there's just one really important you know <laughs> correction we got to make right and it's hard it's hard to do i mean that's it's why it is a level of certain mastery to mm-hmm. kind of get there to to really believe and to use belief in for your own benefit in that way yes you know you really have to be able to control the mind in some way and so all of those things that really you're talking about the mindfulness and the meditation help prepare you for the dessert course because mm-hmm. they help give you a little bit of semblance of understanding awareness and control of what your mind is actually doing and then you can utilize that to your advantage. Yeah, because if you try to skip straight to dessert without having your appetizer <laughs> and your main course, you don't yeah. eat your vegetables, dessert's not going to taste very nice. It's going to give you a sick belly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really have found that the combination of meditation and manifesting is so much more powerful than either one alone mm-hmm. because you could meditate all day, but if you're not clear about what it is that you want, it's very hard for nature to give you the thing. And conversely, you could watch The Secret on repeat and wallpaper your house with vision boards. But if you're not meditating, you're not going to get what you want because chances are you don't believe that you deserve it because your body is riddled with stress. And like you said, we don't get what we want in life. We get what we believe we deserve. Mm -hmm. And I think that the daily meditation practice, it increases your deserving power. Yeah. I mean, deserve, deserve is a, is a really important word. And I think that ties so deeply into our own self judgment, 
you know, this idea that we don't deserve things because we aren't perfect and because we haven't. And this self-judgment then keeps us in this cycle of self-punishment and keeps us actually from the thing that we say we want because we are still punishing ourselves for doing something in the past that makes it so that we didn't deserve that thing that we want. And so that is, I think, one of the main fuel sources of this capital R resistance, as Stephen Pressfield says, this force that feels like it's opposing our desires and wants. It's actually our own self-adjudication system that's saying like, no, 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 you're not perfect. You know, you screwed all these things up. You don't actually deserve this. So mm. we're going to keep this from you. Mm. And it's, it's a very strange process that the human beings go that you have to become aware of in order to start to unwind and untangle that big knot. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's accepting, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. not perfect. I am fucked up. I do have this trauma. <laughs> right. I did inherit all this stuff. I was mean. I did that. And I'm human. And I'm enough. And I love myself. And I deserve happiness. And that's still worthy of love. All of all, yeah. me being fucked up and me screwing up, me doing all of these things, you know, that I didn't know any better, truly, because sometimes, and sometimes you did know better and whatever, don't get caught up in that. We're all going to make mistakes regardless. And mm-hmm. we're all going to be in certain mindsets that take us out of the control of ourselves. Like the algorithm of our organism can get really skewed in a certain way. Let's say we're angry. Well, the angry person may do things that the not angry person would not do. Like under the presence, it's like being drunk, Mm-hmm. of a certain degree. And that doesn't excuse it because you still have to know the process. Like you're still the one that put the alcohol in your mouth. You're still the one that has techniques, if you so choose, to understand where the trauma and the protection and the separation you're trying to create and the, you know, the the transference of pain that's causing the the root cause of this anger, you know, that's like you still can control that if you get the if you get the practice down. So it doesn't like remove you from all responsibility for your actions under those situations you still have to do your best but you have to understand that like in these situations emotions can make us drunk Mm. and we can get lost and confused and misguided and our perceptions can be way way off yeah and that happens to the best of us Mm -hmm. the best of us whether it's you know, chasing validation in a lover and you're not even aware of it and you think you're in love, but really you just want them to validate you because then you'll know that you're worthy of love yourself because they love you and that's just a mirror. And then you're like, fuck, I was just chasing them because I wanted to be validated. And oh, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, then you wake up from that. It's just constant cycles of, oh, waking up to an even deeper level of awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think that the trick here is that when we're stressed, which most people chronically are, it's very, very hard to choose other behaviors because we're not actually choosing what we're doing when we're stressed. We don't have access to the prefrontal cortex when we're in fight or flight. All that blood and energy is going to the amygdala. We're in fear state. So a lot of our reactions are just that. They're involuntary reactions. Mm -hmm. And when you start meditating, you get out of that fight or flight. You get into what I call stay and play. You start to have access to the executive decision-making part of your brain so you can start to engage in higher level decisions. You can start to accept and love yourself in a different way than if you're all your cells are interested in is survival. And the thing is like our, our mitochondria, our gut bacteria, like this stuff that's not even human does take over. Yeah. You know, if you're stressed for long enough, like you're feeding the bad bacteria, not the good bacteria. And it's like that whole, whole the paradigm of like the angel and the devil. It's like the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. And that stuff has a mind of its own and it's not yours. Right. And so it's like, we got to take care of this body machine. We got to take care of this brain machine. And then we have a fighting chance of getting to act in accordance with what we know to be true. Yeah. And that's what I like about meditation is that it's not a 
doctrine or a dogma. I'm not telling anybody how to live their lives. I just want to give people the tools to help them act in accordance with what they already know to be true. Yeah, it's about sovereignty mm. and freedom mm. and the ability to access true choice. You know, and that's, that's, you have to get still and stop the forces, the momentous forces that are driving you and compelling you and out of either fear, which is typically a retraction or some kind of craving, which is typically like a chasing, you know, all of these things that are, that are pushing and pulling us in these different ways that are robbing us of the sovereignty of just being able to stay and play, like you said. And I know for me, like I can track when my stress is low because the true nature of myself is is a little goofy and I like to like laugh and play and, and dance around and like that when I'm stressed though that that goes away <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that goes away it's the armor's on the visor's down you know like I'm ready for I'm ready for the campaign like what are we doing where's mm-hmm. the war where are the arrows where the you yeah. know where are the monsters like here we go you know I'm used to this every every hammer finds a nail, mm-hmm. right? So if we've got billions of stressed out people who are in fight or flight, who are preparing for an imaginary tiger attack, we're going to invent a tiger. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're doing. That's what war is. That's what borders are. That's what xenophobia is. And so if everybody's stressed, we're going to start to invent enemies that aren't actually enemies. Yeah. When you get that fear engine kind of warmed up and you get that stress engine warmed up, mm-hmm. it'll find, like, like you said, everybody, you know, everybody, who's a hammer sees everything as a nail because that's just what the hammer does like when you're but you can transfer that so you can finish pounding one nail but as if you're still the hammer you'll find another nail if you're in that kind of fear and stress state you can actually resolve the thing that is the primary stressor and what what will your mind do go immediately to another stressor yeah it's like a crazy phenomenon when you become awareness and you start being the observer of your mind. You know, I remember recently, and, and, I, and I've told this story once before, but recently I was in Patagonia in kind of an isolation trip. And I remember I resolved a massive emotional stressor, like a massive, it took me five days of like meditating and, and solace and solitude and nature in the wild. And I, and I resolved it. And I was like, oh man, this feels good. And then one like one minute later my mind finds another horribly <laughs> large stressor and i was like oh no you don't oh no 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 this is bullshit like i need a fucking peace i need some peace here i need some integration yeah like, give me a moment here mine <laughs> yeah like, maybe 10 minutes yeah like, 10 something minutes of enlightenment shit you know <laughs> but that was just because it was so warmed up and it was so ramped up and amped up for this kind of i'm going to you know solve this stressor and yeah part of the process was surrendering and accepting but when I solved it through the surrendering and accepting, which is really the only way to solve the stress anyways, you solve that, my mind found something else that I wasn't quite ready to surrender and accept to yet. And it was like, mm-hmm. boom, right there. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Chill mm-hmm. for a second here. We can solve that one later, yep. you know? Yep. Relax. And I find, I don't know if you've read, uh, is it Mark? Hansen, the subtle art of not giving mm-hmm. a fuck. Yeah. And I love the concept that he highlighted so beautifully that life is not about not having problems. It's about enjoying the problem solving. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're going to have problems. So what's your relationship with the problems? What's your relationship with the solving process? Instead of thinking, oh, I'll be happy when I don't have any problems. Yeah. And it's, and it's identifying and also like identifying success as the result of your problem solving. You know, like... Mm. And saying that, no, no, success is living a life in accord with doing your best and learning along the way and hopefully having some fun <laughs> while you do it, right? Like, but don't don't identify the external 
victory that we're always hunting for. Oh, I get this car of the job of my company's this much. Oh, if I can secure this relationship. Oh, if I can do this thing, then, oh, then I'll be able to relax. Then it's, you know, then it's the time. And it's always externalized when if you change that to say, no, no, the whole process is my life. Life is an unending process. And in that process, my commitments are to do my best and learn Mm. and be open to learning everything and looking though and realizing how many times we've been wrong and ignorant and foolish and like, oh, interesting. I'm learning. Great. I'm learning. I'm doing my best. I'm learning. And then you can really start having fun along the way. And when you do that, fuck, you accomplish so much more. Mm. Like you actually get the results that you're looking for. Those things that you've been craving, those things that you've been hunting for and wanting, those victories, they just start happening naturally. Yes. It feels like magic. It's not magic. Right. (laughs) Right. Right? And there's actually a whole chapter in the book called uh, The I'll Be Happy When Syndrome. And I feel like we're very fortunate because we've achieved a level of success at a relatively early age. And if you have big goals and you don't achieve them until later in life, I think it's much easier to continue to believe that that I'll be happy when syndrome is a real thing. You know, if, if like you don't achieve your lifelong dreams until you're 60, well, then you've been living that sort of uh, fantasy for a really long time. Uh, my mind was Broadway. Like I wanted to be on Broadway since I was a little girl and I got it when I was 22 and three weeks later was the saddest I'd ever been. And mm. so that fantasy was able to crumble very early for me, which was great. Of course, I didn't know it then. I just thought, well, next show, next boyfriend, next agent, next zero in the bank account. And I did that for a decade. Um, but then it wasn't until I was like, wait, what? how many more Broadway shows do I have to do before I'm happy? And then I started looking somewhere else. And I hear this story again and again, and and I share it because I don't think it's unique. You know, I think that they're almost everyone has achieved something that they wanted to. And then lo and behold, it was not the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And they're like, well, what now? Where do I go? So, all right. So this is a very, and I definitely want to dive into this because this is a, this is a tricky little spot because there are many of us who have been able to achieve that thing that we've been hunting. And then that has given us the realization like, oh, that thing that I've been hunting wasn't really the thing that I needed. Mm-hmm. And and definitely getting that thing that you've been chasing and then realizing that it's not what you need is probably the most reliable way to put you on the internal path. But for a lot of people, you know, based on what society has said and the metrics of success and the metrics of this, I think that there's probably a good number of people who are not ever going to get what they think they need. So they will perpetually be in chase. So they won't have that moment of realization of the dispelling of this phantom that we've been really hunting for, right? They may not have that moment. So what would we say to those people who are who haven't achieved, let's say wealth has been their focus or this external metric of success or this type of rosy relationship with the picket fence and the, and the whatever, and they're not there, but they still want to go inside. They still want to find that piece. They still want to learn the lesson, but they haven't had the opportunity to actually achieve that thing and learn the lesson that way. I mean... I know I sound like a broken record, but honestly, that thing, this problem is why I wrote this book (laughs) because it's basically giving the promise of like, hey, this thing that you're chasing, this phantom that you think is going to make you happy, the money, the sex, the parking karma, the whatever, the the Mm -hmm. external validation, 
Um, like, I mean, the title is accomplish more, right? It's in the title. I'm giving people the promise of, hey, this thing is going to help you accomplish more, but I have no interest in what they actually accomplish on the other mm. side. I have much more interest in, hey, you could start meditating because you want less cellulite. You're still going to be less of a dick when you do it, <laughs> right? Like yeah, it doesn't right. matter what your motivation is for starting these practices. And actually, I would like to save people the trouble of having that like mirage crumble before their eyes sure. because it's painful. It's sad. It's a heartbreak. It's a type of mourning that you have to go through when you thought this one thing, your whole life was going to make you happy and then it doesn't. I would rather people find a self-sufficient, sustainable means by which to access their own fulfillment internally before having to go through that heartbreak of realizing that that dream that you've been investing your whole life is not actually, it doesn't have the power to make you happy. Just like that person doesn't have the power to make you happy. Love cannot be imported. Happiness cannot be imported. It can only be exported. And so with the meditation, what you're doing is that you're flooding your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. Mm -hmm. So you become self-sufficient for your fulfillment. So you stop thinking it's on the other side of that company or that acquisition or that whatever. And then you start to use all of your desires, your relationships, your family, your business, traffic. You start to use it as an outlet for your fulfillment, not as a place for you to go to fill yourself up. And I think if we can start to change a critical mass of humans operating from that space of what can I contribute versus what can I take, this will be a much more fun planet to live on. Mm. And knowing that in that act of giving, you know, it's its own reward, Mm. right? Like people people have this idea about love, like, well, you only love, you know, to get love back. You know what I mean? Like you only give to get, you know, get back and return. I, I give Christmas presents because I'm going to get Christmas presents, you know. But if we ain't doing Christmas presents this year, I ain't giving shit. You know, like, but the act of giving is the gift to yourself as well. Like, and we all know that because we've done it, but we have these other ideas surrounding that. The act of loving is feeling love itself. Mm. Like it's this, when you open up that channel to love, you're in love and you feel the love. And when you open up that channel to give, you're in giving, you're in the receipt of the same gift at the same time, Mm. you know, and that's the thing. And so it releases the stress in this kind of exasperation, this kind of frustration with the world. Well, I'm giving the world's not giving me back. Well, the gift is its own gift, you know, like that's its own reward Mm -hmm. in and of itself. And Mm -hmm. then that's really when you start to get free because then you're not dependent and you don't have the expectations of anything in return and you can just be in the process of giving in the process of loving in the process of serving and know that you're receiving by the very act of doing it Mm -hmm. Ah. i used to teach acting and i used to my big thing was create for the sake of creating if you're working on the scene because you want to get the movie and you want to be famous and then you want to win the awards because then you'll feel validated, your work will always suck. Mm. But if you're creating because it's fun to create, because it's waking up the actual internal divinity, you know, God the creator, right? Mm. So it's like we create to wake up our own internal divinity. And if you do that for the sake of doing it, you love for the sake of loving, you give for the sake of giving, then it doesn't really matter what happens on the other side. And, and I, at least for me, I found that meditation got me out of this martyrdom complex because you can only be a martyr if you're dealing with limited resources. And mm. once you start meditating, you no longer have limited resources. Yeah. You are tapping into the source of energy, the source of love, the source of time. And so you could be with a toxic coworker. They could suck you dry. And it doesn't even matter because you're going to go meditate 20 minutes later and fill yourself back up. So it's like you don't, you're not as vulnerable. You become more sensitive, but less vulnerable. Mm. 
Yeah. And, you know, this idea of sucking you dry and this idea of like, you know, I had an interesting, I had an interesting experience with um, anger recently. And that was something that was very present in my childhood. And one of the, one of the traumas that I experienced was someone who I loved and who loved me being angry. Yeah, go for it. Let her let her rip. That's how I feel about that anger. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, and in the experience, like the receipt, the receipt of the anger was triggering that wound of how dare you? Kind of this 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 idea. So, wait. So someone in your life was mad at you. Someone in my life was mad at me, and it triggered anger because someone in your childhood was angry. Well, someone someone in my childhood was angry at me. You know, my father. My father was, you know, he was, he would get very angry. And that was, I had a very good childhood for the most part, but my father had some anger issues, right? And so, and then anger was unjustified. I was a kid, you know, obviously. And, um, and so in the receipt of anger, the anger was really affecting me. And I think understanding that it was affecting me partly because that was a trauma that I had there that was still a little bit unreconciled, even though I've gone to forgiveness, the receipt in that you know, I was still sensitive to. So I was there. Like when anger came knocking at the door, like my wound was there to be like, here I am. Here's my wound. Like <laughs> your anger knocking. Okay. I'm opening the door <laughs> and all my pain's going to come rushing out of the door. Uh-huh. But I started, you know, and it was a real blessing to have this kind of come into my life. Um, even though obviously it sucks, you know, when wants to be on the receiving side of anger, but it was a real blessing to have this come into my life because then I realized, okay, if anger comes knocking, the only thing that can respond is my pain. And so if I deal with this pain and if I deal with this receipt and look at this in a different way, I may not be there to answer the door. It may be knocking on a door and mm-hmm. there's no one home. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that my pain isn't there to respond. And I can look at that person who's being angry and say, oh, this is just the angry self. I don't have to be, I don't have to add the meaning of, the, well, this is the person that loved me and this is the person that... No, no, this is the angry self coming and and my pain and my own issues around anger aren't there. Mm. So it doesn't it doesn't actually draw that thing out of me. And so that yeah. toxic coworker, I guess w- where this is leading is like I think there's a place you can get to and I think meditation is one of the tools to help you get there. Introspection, awareness, mindfulness, all of these things combined can make it so that that toxic coworker is trying to draw something out of you, trying to draw and trying to knock on the door, but you can be not home. Mm. You know, you could be at another another octave in another yep. room of the house, and like oh, and loving look. them, yeah, and loving that. Like, oh, like I see you knocking on the. I I'm not home there. I'm here. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can come here to love and talk to me here and love. And but I do. But I don't. That's the anger doors. Uh, I don't answer that door anymore. I love that. You know. So and that's this kind of. I think those are the the levels of mastery that you get to after lots of introspection and no shame about your own feelings and just looking at like, oh, okay, wow, wow, that affected me. That really affected me. That's throwing me. Why? Oh, okay. Well, there's still some unresolved issues and trauma. Why? Let's sit with that. Let's let's deal with that. So that when that thing comes knocking, whatever that thing is, whatever that trigger point is, it's trying to access your your wound, your pain body, as Ekatola would say. You know, when it's trying to access that, it's it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, then at that point, like you said, you can be very sensitive, you can be aware and compassionate, but you're you're not you don't have the pain that's going to respond to that. Mm. 
I'm down with that. It sounds I'm down delicious. With that too. <laughs> I'm down with that too. Yeah, one one way of saying that is that you can watch people commenting on their own state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Someone comes at you, attacking you, angry at you, blaming you. It's like they're all they can do is comment on their own state of consciousness, and you get to comment on your own state of consciousness. Yep. And it's tricky, you know, especially with our families, because our families are the ones that installed our buttons. So they know exactly where to push them. Right. My favorite quote as of late, especially coming out of the holidays, is, you know, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. Yeah. Ramdas. Yeah. Thank you, Ramdas. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So good. Because those things that those are these, you know, pain bodies that were established early. And also there's so many ideas around family. My dad should, my mom should, my brother should. All of these expectations and all of these, the weight of these labels. Which, and where these do those come from, by the way? Because, like, no one's doing it. <laughs> right. So, why right. do you think they should? It's <laughs> thou shalt not, well, thou shalt honor thy father. Whatever. Like, there's, it's deep codification in this kind of familial onus, this familial burden that we all have to, that we all should be abiding by, but it's very difficult for, and it's, you know, everybody knows these are some of the more challenging relationships that we have, but there's this expectation that, okay, family treats family like this. And then when that expectation isn't met, because it does not meeting up to this codification and this label and this burden that we've associated with it, then we get really extra triggered, you know, mm-hmm. because it's my brother or because it's my mom, you know, okay, that's a person. Mm-hmm. That's a person that's who doing the best that's they can. doing the best they the can. It's, they just, it's just a person. Like take the mom label out of there. Take the dad label. Take the brother. Take the wife. Take the husband. Like take all of these labels that come with so many expectations of how they should mm. treat you, and just be like, this is a person. Mm. This is a person dealing with their things and their stuff, and they're doing what they can, you know. And and then it just it allows this thing to fizzle out. So when you're with your family, you don't look at them like. Dad, it's like, okay, person, mm-hmm. mom, okay, person, okay, spouse, okay, person, you know? And mm-hmm. that, I think, is another practice that really helps to kind of settle some of these challenging relationships that we have. It's making me think about my son, who's seven months old, and like, where am I going to fail him? You know, how will I fuck him up? And, <laughs> how, you know, where will I not meet his expectations and his shoulds? And, you know, because it's going to happen. And and so I think now being in that role and that parental role, it gives me so much more compassion for all other parents. And you know, uh, yeah, we're all doing the best we can. What? Well, all right. So let's. I mean, uh, this is obviously I, I don't have any kids, so this is a thought experiment for me. I would imagine that you know, if if this hypothesis that I've just put out is true, is that we're removing the kind of the specialness of the label and allowing our kids and other people in our family to see the truth of who we are beyond the label. Then I suppose one of the things that I think a lot of parents, you know, have kind of missed is they're almost like protecting this role of then protecting the label and preventing the kids from seeing the truth mm. of the person that's behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, because they always want to be, oh, I'm not, I'm not stressed. I'm I'm in ta- I'm in charge of things. I'm not emotional. I got my shit together. I'm all all this. But kids are really smart and they can mm-hmm. sense that they feel it. They feel it, they know it. And then it makes you even more of a label because you're less real. And you're less like, wow, you know, like, and obviously, this, you know, your kid's seven months, so it's a little early. But like, as as your child grows up, like, letting letting them in on on the on the personhood of who you are, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm fucking really bummed out today, you know, like, I really needed to meditate today because things were really swirling, and and so that like they get to see that you're a person, not just 
not just the label. And I think that's something that we can all do. We all try to put on a face mm-hmm. for those who we're in relationship with, but just let it, let them in, let them into the personhood of of yourself. Yeah. And I, I am down with that. And I, I hope that I will yeah. do that. And I do wonder like that deification that we do of our parents. I, I don't think that's an accident. You know, I do think that to a certain degree for a certain number of our formative years, we want to think that there is an all-knowing, all-controlling being that is providing our safety and that is giving us some rigidity of right and wrong. Um, I, and I'm not a child psychologist and I certainly like philosophically subscribe more to what you're speaking about, but I mm-hmm. just wonder, I think that there has to be a balance. I'm assuming that there has to be a balance. I could be wrong, but I wonder like where those scales start to tip. Like mm-hmm. when can you start to be more vulnerable and be like, Hey, I am scared. Hey, I don't know how we're going to make rent this month. Or, or like what, at what point does that become irresponsible because you're putting too much of the burden on the child who, which I think kids are inherently narcissistic mm-hmm. when they're, when they're young. Yeah, they'll, so they'll take the, they'll take the, well, mommy Sad, that responsibility so I'm on. sad. Yeah, yeah. And I think the way that you're suggesting it is actually to deflate their sense of responsibility. Yep, exactly. And I think that it re- that would re- probably require a level of mastery. Or yeah, because they'll least... sense you're sad anyways. Mm-hmm. And then they'll internally think it's their fault anyways. Yep. You know, and so they'll assume, and then it'll be this unspoken thing that gets water. Like if your parent, if your parents are fighting and you're the kids, like so many kids think like they're the divorce responsible. Divorce is my fault. Yeah, exactly. And why? Because the parents haven't been like, hey this has nothing to do with you, sweetie. Yep. Like this is stuff, you know, this is stuff that goes all the way back to when I was a kid. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, this is a lot of stuff in, in with your dad. This is stuff that goes back to him. And this is all about us. Like this really has nothing to do with you. And I know you're seeing it all and, and we're sorry, we're doing our best, you know, mm-hmm. but we're just people too. Mm-hmm. And you'll be a person too. And one day, you know, you may have stuff come up and that's okay too. And just know that you're just a person doing your best. And so are we, Yeah. you know, and then they're like, okay, cool. And then you can kind of, address this elephant in the room so it's not standing on their shoulders their whole life until they unpack it years later with mm-hmm. you know stress less and accomplish more and then you know a couple <laughs> ayahuasca ceremonies and they're like oh shit it wasn't my fault after all they, they were lying yeah. you would not do well in the south in the south we just really <laughs> like to smile and put on more mascara and just say it's all fine yeah. it's fine it's fine everything's fine we just Oof, smile that's, and that's so rough yeah. it's so rough when that's when that's happening. Yeah, because it just, but then it becomes cancerous. I mean, I really believe we have an opportunity to le- learn our lessons on the spiritual plane. And if we don't learn them there, then we have to pay our therapist a couple hundred dollars a week for a few decades and learn it on the psychological plane. And if we don't learn it there, well, guess what? Then we got to cut it out as cancer. We got to pay the surgeon and it takes much longer and it's much more expensive. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's faster and cheaper to learn our lessons on the spiritual plane. Yeah, I mean, and and there's so many ideas about like, that that thing about like putting like pretending to be something you know like we all it's so exhausting it's just i mean what talk about the cause of stress you know like mm. part of the cause all right mm. let's go into my let's go into one of my stressors my whole life right so okay dad anger problems right the anger problems came from it could come from any little word that i said or a misturn of phrase or a, an intonation that was misconstrued right so I got hypersensitive to to my communication, you know, and it created this almost super eager, like overmind watching all of my communication and then interpreting how that in communication would be received. And so everything I would say to anybody was, I was always like watching it and judging it and worried about it and a little nervous about it. So it made it very hard for me to be present. It made me stressed out. It made me worried, you know, in all relationships, like, 
well, what if, what if they took it this way? What if they took it this way? What if they took it this way? And that burden and that stress, it made me a good communicator for sure because it helped me hone that craft. So it gave me a superpower. So gratitude, surely. Thank you, dad. Like grateful for that, that gift yeah. of putting that pressure on communication so I could communicate so well. But then I had to undo all of that stress about worrying about all of these communications and how many of us have obsessed over which fucking emoji to put on this <laughs> response to this person and what to this one or this one what do they think about this what do they just relax like mm. just be you and and trust that you know it'll sort out in the wash yeah. you know what i mean and sometimes things yeah all right sometimes there will be like a a miscommunication it's cool just address it be like oh sorry i didn't mean it that way you know but but take some of this stress of the minutia of manipulation that we're trying to do to get this idea across or to pre present our thoughts or present the idea of who we want our thoughts to be or all of this stuff and just kind of start to trust that we can just be ourselves and communicate and it doesn't matter which of those yellow faced emojis we put it's all going to be okay <laughs> you know yeah i think the paradox of that is that the more we show people who we actually are and the less of a facade we wear the more people love us and it's just the facade is because we want people to love us. And so we just keep putting facade after facade. Is this mm -hmm. the right facade? Does this facade make you angry? And actually it's just taking it off that makes people, that gives us the thing that we've been searching for all along. And it's the only way we feel it. You know, like feel, what? feel the love itself too. Do we trust it? Well, because if you if if you put on a facade, you're you're a Broadway performer. I'm very good at facades. You, you could you could put on a <laughs> hell of a you could put right on now. a hell of a facade, right? <laughs> you could put on a hell of a facade, and you could get somebody. You could compel a feeling from somebody else. And what you might be proud of your artistry, like, oh wow, I really, I really fucking put on a good facade here. <laughs> I but you're not going to, so yeah, you're not going to feel the love to you. Mm -hmm. You might just, you might be proud of your, oh look at, look at, look at what a good, you know, acting job I did. But you're not going to feel their feeling as you yourself mm -hmm. because that wasn't you yourself, and you know that wasn't you yourself. That was a manipulation of yourself to present something that someone would have feelings towards, right? So. The thing that we're chasing, we're actually denying ourselves. Oh, I want this person to love me, so I'm going to be this thing, and they're going to love that thing, but I know I'm not that thing. So guess what? You just made sure that you're never going to feel love because mm. they're only going to love your projection, your avatar, your mask, and not you. Mm -hmm. Fuck. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Screwed that one up. I know. It's like this illusion of control. It's this illusion of safety, which is guaranteeing the terrible experience that we're trying to avoid. Yeah. The uh, analogy I use for this is that we all are putting those bumper busters on our hearts. You know, those like hideous bumper protectors uh -huh. that people wear on their cars. It's like, grill guards, I yeah. just bought, what's it called? Grill guard? Grill guard. Yeah. yeah you're in, like you're bumper buster. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I just bought this amazing expensive car and I don't want it to be ugly. I don't want anyone to scratch it. So I'm going to go ahead and ensure that it looks ugly by putting this thirty. $5 thing on my $100,000 car. And it's right. like, wait, you're ensuring the experience that you're trying to avoid is happening now. Yeah. And that's what we're doing by protecting our hearts. It's like, I don't want my ex-boyfriend broke up with me and I don't want my new boyfriend to break up with me. So I'm just, I'm just going to cover up my heart and protect my heart. So in order to avoid isolation, we're going to go ahead and ensure isolation, mm. which just doesn't make any sense. That's a fucked up thing that the mind does. It's like, and, and, I, and I want to comment that too. Like another example of that is, you know, I think when I was growing up, I'd go over to friends' houses and they'd have some parents who would have plastic covering their really nice carpet. And, yeah. they would, and it would be on their yes, carpet for the years, right? Or the yes. couch. Like 
this carpet and this couch sucks now because it's fucking yeah. plastic. Yes. So I don't know it's what you have it for, but like, what's your ROI My on My thighs this? are sticking to yeah, it. Yeah, like, this is terrible. <laughs> so like, I don't care how dirty it gets. Like, Mm-mm. it ain't worth it. Use it up. Get a new you know couch. I mean? Get like, some new carpet. Damn. It's it's just a... But so the mind, the mind... But, but the interesting thing is, so that's one aspect. And I think you're absolutely right. But the other aspect is that the mind puts itself in these situations where it's living the worst case scenario before the worst case scenario even happens. And and I've caught my mind doing this a million times. It's almost, I think it's like a, it must be like a biological imperative of survival mechanisms where you're saying like, okay, if this happens, could I handle it? Well, I only know if I make it happen in my mind fully. So like, would I freak out and and lose my mind and kill myself if my girlfriend broke up with me? Well, I'm going to take this you know, the wrong emoji that she sent me. I'm going <laughs> to let that mean that she's going to break up with me. She's going to leave me. And I'm going to feel all of those feelings that that's going to happen and live that fully. So just in case that she does, mm-hmm. I know that I'll be okay. Cause at least I'm here and I'm not killing myself and I'm not freaking out, yep. you know, but you do that constantly and you're just living life, not in the present moment, but living in one worst case scenario to another. Mm. When always, when the worst case scenario happens, even when it comes up surprise, you typically figure it out. Yeah, you always figure it you out. You always figure it yeah, out. You're fine. And the reality is, even in the middle of the heartbreak, you're still fine. Yeah. That person was not the key to your happiness. Yep. It's just we love our illusion of control so much mm. as humans. And we would rather be in a known, even if it's a shitty known, we'd rather have plastic on the carpet because we know <laughs> that it's safe versus the unknown possibility what? that if our kid is going to spill grape juice <laughs> on our red carpet or our yeah. white carpet. And I, my analogy that I use for this, as you can tell, I really love analogies, um, is that. We are all, you know, uh, those grocery carts at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then there's the little plastic cars, the toy cars on the yep. front for the kids. And the kids are in the front and they've got their plastic wheel and they think that they're driving the grocery the grocery cart. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that God looks at us humans like that. You know, we think that we're driving our lives. We think we're in the driver's seat. We think we're in control. And meanwhile, like God's just pushing the shopping cart being like, <laughs> look how adorable that human is. They think they're in control. They think they're running this show. Yeah. They're not. I mean, I think it's actually a co-creation. I think sure. it's, you know, it's like a braiding of the wills. Yeah, it's 50% individuality and 50% totality. But when we think that we're 100% in charge, that's when we fall in love with the illusion of control and that's when we try to change it or or get to a known, even if it sucks, versus the uncomfortability of the unknown because it's highlighting the reality that we're not in control. Yeah. And and the the desire to to control the uncontrollable is like, the analogy is like uh, if you're on a water slide, right? And you're going down the water slide and you don't know which turns are there you can go. So you can try and grab onto the side everywhere you go. And if you're lucky, maybe you can slow it down and then not enjoy the water slide. Or you could, you know, bang your elbow because you're trying to hold on to this or the person behind you can come ram into you like, or just like enjoy the water slide, like surrender, you know, and your choice is to put your arms behind your head, maybe plug your nose, go woo or whatever you want to do, but you're on the fucking water slide. Yes. You know, you can't stop it. You don't know which turn it's going to go, but Mm -hmm. the water slide's going. Yes. You know, so a much better place to be is, all right, I surrender to the water slide of life. I'm not going to grab onto the sides. I'm going to, you know, steer where I can. I'm going to enjoy when I can and do my best to, in the scary dark moments when you're going through the tunnel and you don't know which way it goes, go, wee, you know, and like, and just have a little more faith. Like choose that faith over fear. So much more fun. So much more fun. And that's it. Like that's, you know, people, people who've, and everybody's so focused on like what, these external things they want to accomplish, like 
how about how about fun? Mm-hmm. Like how about like we came here to this amazing playground? Let's enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Let's enjoy it. Let's eat some cool shit and let's have sex and let's have fun and make people laugh and and like have fun too. You know? I like fun. Fun is fun. Fun is fun. <laughs> fun is fun. <laughs> I think that's why we love kids and that spirit so much is kids are like <sighs> they're hunting fun. Yes. Always. They're yes. finding and manufacturing, creating fun. It reminds us like, oh wow, look at those kids. Guess what? You're still that kid. You just have been taught other programs and you have this burden of stress and all of these other things that are on top of you. But uh, you can play too. Mm. Like there's nothing stopping you from playing. You know, there's nothing stopping you from being silly and playing and enjoying yourself. Mm. Nothing. Is there a playground nearby? Okay. <laughs> we should go get <laughs> this on whole thing. You're right on it. This whole okay. thing is a playground. Actually, this is kind of a playground. It's like samurai <laughs> yeah. swords, like shields, horns. <laughs> Was there anything else you want to leave people with here? Obviously, the book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. Mm. It's going to be out everywhere. Audiobook. Did you read the audiobook? I did the audiobook. Excellent. Yep. I like that. That's Real hard work. That. It is. But you know what? I actually felt like it was this beautiful culmination of my entire life's work. No, because Because, you know, Broadway. like 10 years yeah. of Broadway singing, the endurance of being a you know performer and dancer, and then, you know, writing the book. And we had four days allocated for it. I did it in two and a half, which I was very proud of. Mm-hmm. It was just like flowing. And I think the audiobook's going to be really good. Um, but the printed book is there's there's exercises in it and work, you know, uh, you can write things down of, you know, how much money is stress costing you in six months? Like I actually want people to go through and look at how much money they're spending on therapy, booze, sleeping pills, caffeine, cigarettes, alcohol. Because the average American is spending about $11,800 on quote unquote stress reducing tools, but it's not fucking working. Mm. And then it's like, oh, or you could spend 10, 15 minutes a day meditating and all that stuff will start to fall away. Yeah, You know, and so it's... It's like, in addition to giving you time, this thing is going to help you save money on all that stuff we're wasting. So anyway, there's exercises in the written book. Um, But yes, I would say, yes, get the book. Yes, it'll change your life. But more importantly than that is, is look at all of the places where you feel like you're unnecessarily suffering. Like my new mission in life is to eradicate unnecessary suffering from the Mm -hmm. planet Mm -hmm. because suffering is part of the human experience. Like people are going to die. There is pain, you know, like that. Well, I think pain is part of the human experience. Mm. I think the, you know, Shinzen Young is a a Buddhist teacher. He wrote a great piece on how pain, you know, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional, right? And I think that's another quote from somebody else. Suffering is the resistance to that pain. Mm -hmm. The world has pain. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. Anybody who tells you the world is in pain, like, uh huh. Sure, buddy. Mm-hmm. But the suffering comes from the resistance yeah. to that. It comes from the denial, the avoidance, the aversion, the running, the fighting, the the surrender, mm-hmm. the acceptance without resistance. Then, then it's just pain. Yes, pain's okay. And and it's kind of a semantics issue because there's basically two ways of saying the same thing. Because mm-hmm. I would say that you know putting like suffering on top of pain or fear on top of pain creates sure. like in Buddhism, it's a double arrow, right? Where it's like, well, the pain is one arrow, but if you then put fear on top of the pain, then you've created a double arrow and it gets stuck and it's it's sticking you on both sides. Yeah. And so when I say unnecessary suffering, I mean solvable pain. Yeah. Solvable yeah, problems totally. like insomnia, like anxiety, like, you know, um, just stress, right? Like this is solvable. Yeah. It really is. And and for people to be in pain, yes, that is part of the human experience. For people to be suffering unnecessarily mm. just feels dumb. <laughs> I would like and for us to it's, change and that. It's sad. It's you not know? fun. It's sad. It's because this world is so fucking good. Yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Like this is 
the kingdom of heaven, mm. if we're able to access it, if we're able to approach it in that way. The kingdom and, of heaven is within. What you seek is in it. you. It's and every, when it's within, it's everywhere. Yes. And you recognize it's all around you. You feel that state inside yourself. Every single thing mm-hmm. around you agrees with that. And you are in that state of heaven. Mm. And that's what's available. But you know, without that getting to that internal state, you know, if you're in that internal state of suffering, Gehenna, hell, whatever you want to call it, then everything around you is going to agree with that too. So mm-hmm. you're in hell, mm-hmm. you know, or some combination in between or toggling back and forth. But, you know, to at least, at least at the very least, taste and touch heaven a little bit, you know, <laughs> at the very least. And hopefully, you know, for a lot of us get closer to just living there, you know, mm-hmm. getting a permanent residence. Do you know my friend NQ? He's a poet. Yeah, he's yeah. a good friend of mine. I love NQ. And he he's also a Ziva grad. He's a student. And he said, this is not my quote, his, he says, you will always find evidence for what you choose to believe. Mm-hmm. You will always find evidence for what you choose to believe. And I love that so much because, as you said, if, if you're convinced that life is hell, you'll find evidence to support that. If you're convinced yeah. that life is heaven, you'll find evidence to support that. And, and I would say that also applies to the meditation. If you choose to believe that you're too busy to meditate, you will find evidence to support that. Mm-hmm. If you choose to believe that you have time, you'll find evidence to support that too. So choose to believe that you have time to meditate, you guys. It really is the kingdom to heaven. It is the thing that gives you access to your own fulfillment. There's a thing that we're all chasing, but it gives you access to it internally. It wakes up your own internal pharmacy and it's self-sufficient. And then you, it just changes the lens through which you see and experience everything and everyone. I'm in. Great. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it, everybody. <laughs> we got time. Yeah. We got the will. You're a time billionaire. Heaven's worth it. What's what else is worth it? Heaven? Okay, heaven. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's do it. Sign me up. Here's the book. Everybody, check it out. I'm gonna get the audio book though, because I think it's gonna be really fucking it good. It is gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Follow you on uh on all the socials. Yep, I'm just at Ziva Meditation, Z-I-V-A Meditation. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming. This Thank was amazing. Thank me. you, everybody. Peace. Bye, friend. Thanks for tuning in to me and Emily Fletcher. Please check out her book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. It's all over Amazon. And if you're interested, take a look at Ziva Meditation. Thank you so much, you guys, for dropping in. As always, go to onit.com slash Aubrey. Save yourself some 10%. Check out my blog, aubreymarcus.com. Sign up for the newsletter. I'm always dropping my latest and most current thoughts there. And I'll see you next week on the podcast.